I think I'm having an art attack. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, genius professor, Rhodes Scholar. Don't even do that because you're, more, more, you're, you're more intelligent than all the Rhodes Scholars I've ever met besides President Clinton. Did I meet President Clinton? That's weirdly I weird. So. I did, yes. Well, tell us about that. No, nope, <laughs> I can't. It's secretive. But I am here with Lizzie Dassin, professor of art history, and myself, Justin Bua. And today is a very special day. And it's really your topic. So I want you to wax poetically on it. I would love to. Thank okay. you. I know every time we do a photographic topic, it's mine because I'm the one who is pushing our inquiry into this space. So because I'm, I hate it. You because hate you, it so because much. Because you know, know how much <laughs> I don't think that photography is an art. And the more that I talk about it, the more that I love it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being open-minded. I really think that that is ultimately the power of these conversations. And it happens with me all the time, too, is that I go into one of our episodes not really liking the art that much. And often I leave really a huge fan. But no matter what, I always leave with a better understanding. So I appreciate that. Who was it that you hated so much that I flipped you? Which artist was it? Do you remember? It happened so often. No, <laughs> no, it didn't happen so often. But One it did happen. One particular artist. It was like a. It was like a, a Winslow Homer. No, no, I love Sheila. Sheila. I think it was Daumier. I Daumier. Never really like Daumier. Oh my God. Okay, go ahead. Or Rembrandt, actually. Really? But now I do. So thank oh you, Justin God. Bua. So let's see if that can happen. If that script can be flipped for you today with documentary photography, mm-hmm. and. What I think is so fascinating is inherent to that phrase, documentary photography, is the biggest lie of all, that these images are not documents, not at all. I'm going to be saying this over and over and over. The point cannot be stressed enough, but the photographs that were taken in the United States, specifically in Dust Bowl America in the 1930s, are highly manipulated. Now, when you think about why somebody would manipulate a photograph, it is so important to tease out the agenda. And in this case, it's to make the country feel safe and taken care of in the wake of the stock market crash in 1929 and to feel like President Roosevelt's his um, new deal, the Relief, Recovery and Reform, that that was working. So if the American public typically the middle class, looked at an image that supported that the government was on it and that the economic situation was turning, then there was going to be more cohesion and better spirits throughout the country. So these images, the documentary photographs that I put in quotes for anyone who's not watching, they are absolutely propagandistic tools. Sort of. I mean, I a hundred percent. Well, wait a minute. Okay, let's let's backtrack. Okay. Let's first of all <laughs> let's contextualize this and say historically artists have always done that. I mean, but with a painting, if you have Norman Rockwell in his studio doing a political painting or doing a whatever he's doing, let the mostly the political paintings, it has to be staged. You have to have actors who are who are models. And you have to stage them. And you're really staging them at this point, right? You're lighting them, you're dressing them, you're designing them. So it's not much different than what illustrators have done historically throughout their entire career. But I hear what you're saying. You have to manipulate a situation 
this is you could tell what side I'm on, right? Like when I say this, but you have to really manipulate a situation to get the result of what you need. And at the end of the day, if you talk about the Dorothea Lang and you talk about her famous portrait, what was it called? Migrant Mother, Migrant 1936. Mother. You could see the the genealogy of the different poses before she arrives at where she arrives. Yes, and I think all of the points that you're making are so smart and so important to emphasize, and we are on the same side with that. I think that when we look at a Norman Rockwell, it is 100% the consensus that he manipulated the pigments, that he posed people. Nobody thinks that a painting doesn't come from some inner workings of an artistic mind, and there's always a subtle agenda. That is always the drive of creating anything representational. But the issue is that our assumption when we look at a photograph is that it's a fact. And that is the underlying problem with photographic reception is that we see something that is of that aesthetic made by that medium. And we expect that we're being told a truth. And then what happened with the backlash of FSA photography is that people felt lied to when it came out that these photographers, the two most iconic ones are Walker Evans and Dorothea Lang, when they revealed or it was revealed that their images were staged, people were like, oh my God, how could that happen? I feel so manipulated. But the issue is that we expect something different from a photograph than we do from a painting. And that's where I think a lot of the tension occurs. So you're right to bring up this Rockwell example and... That, I think, is an important point, that a photograph is a representational tool, just like a painting, just like a sculpture. However, we have a different set of expectations when we see them. So before we talk about Migrant Mother, which is the most iconic image from this period, there were hundreds of thousands of photographs taken during the Great Depression. And yet this one image seems to stand for a nation. And so we really should spend a lot of time unpacking why that is and what it says. But the FSA was a governmental organization led by this guy named Stryker. And Stryker paid people to go out into the Dust Bowl, mostly, and then photograph. But Stryker gave particular shooting scripts. He would say, photograph a family who's poor, but not so poor that they're going to look like they're a threat to the middle class. And so there was always that balance of being impoverished but not being dangerous. And so that's interesting. And the photographers would manipulate the scene to accommodate that. Walker Evans, for instance, would maneuver furniture in a space to make it seem more crowded. Or he would ask people to dress up in their nicer attire or sometimes their dirtiest attire. And so there was always a conversation that was tethered to the shooting script And then when the photographs were released, they were released with text. And so there's no room for interpretation. You are being told what it is that you're looking at, and there is an agenda, and that agenda is government propaganda. I mean, it is propaganda. And at the end of the day, you know, if your employer is the government, you're doing, you know what I mean? It's the same thing as an illustrator. You're doing a job the end of the day you're doing a job and there are expectations of that job and you have to deliver now i agree with you it is incredibly manipulative but i think documentary 
anything is manipulative. You know what I mean? I, I feel like that's what a documentary comes through the lens of one lens. And that's why it's important historically, and this is this is with any kind of history. It doesn't matter if you're reading Barbara Tuckman's Guns of August or or whatever. You have to you have to read multiple viewpoints and then you have to kind of distill what your own interpretation is. Now that being said, if you look at some of the photography, like specifically when I look at Dorothea Lang's work of like the bread line, like I don't know how she manipulated that photo. I know that there's that one guy looking out, right, on the bread line, and then everybody's Isn't that turned around. Margaret Burke White, where no. there's a poster at the top and then a line of people. At no, the no, no, no. It's not it's that. A it's, it's a guy looking out, and then everybody else's back is turned to us. We're going to show it right here. <laughs> Great, because I don't and, know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that that piece, you know, it feels it feels so authentic. But the authenticity is because. These are really people on a bread line. These are really people with dirty hats and texture everywhere. And the mood is incredible. And there's this one guy kind of looking out like everybody's part of the whole matrix of waiting and waiting and waiting. And then there's one guy looking out like, forget it. I mean, that's how I take it. Like, just forget it. I'm done. Like, this is just too much. And sometimes don't you have to manipulate a scene to get the point of the scene out because when we look at some of these photos it's yes it's dramatized yes it's posed yes they're adding furniture or manipulating a face or moving a hand or taking a thumb out as we know Dorothea Lang did right oh yeah we'll talk about that but doesn't that get the message out more eloquently than it would have if you're just shooting things randomly in other words, these people were really struggling. These people were coming out from the Midwest, California. Uh, they were pea pickers. They were, you know, treated like shit. They were making no money. There were no margins. They were just living in poverty, sleeping in their car. You know, kids were, their kids were dying. There was no contraception. I mean, it was rough. And that is such a wonderful point because that is the authenticity of documentary photography of any moment is that this was a situation that really affected the lives of so many thousands of people in the United States. And so it's not a lie that people are in the breadline. It's not a lie that people are struggling with starvation, with the the loss of a family member, with the loss of the all the comforts that they had experienced prior. So that was all real. And so when these artists are trying to maximize the impact that that photograph can have, that to me is not a lie. But that's because when I look at a photograph, I don't expect a fact. And if people saw photography through that lens, then I don't think that they would feel quite so afflicted when we know that something was posed or something was moved. I mean, if you've been on Tinder, you know that photography is manipulated. I not been on tinder i mean i haven't either but i know that this is true that nobody looks like their photo because everybody filters and isn't that a form of manipulation isn't just the simple act of cropping a manipulation because yeah. that is including some information and excluding but it's, other but, but it's different because those are those are mediums where people expect they have expectations of manipulation as where what you said earlier documentary photography there's there are people who are like why would you do that 
it's a documentary photograph. Like you can't, you can't manipulate that. That's the difference. I think that we always assume that a photograph is real. I think when we yeah. see a picture on, really? yeah, on a dating site or whatever, that we expect that the person is going to look like if that. If you see Kim Kardashian or Khloe Kardashian, <laughs> you do not expect that shit to be real. You're just like, oh, that's fake all over. But I think that people are more, everybody's using filters. I mean, you know, these days it's just like, that's how it is. I don't know if everybody expects it to be real these days, but it doesn't matter. The point is people do expect documentary photography and filmmaking to sure. be to be real and maybe it's because of this use of the word document yep. because a document is a factual collection of words and we see that as non-negotiable and so if we look at this photo in the same light then of course people are going to be upset when the inner mechanisms of the system that created it are exposed so let's talk about dorothea lang's greatest work yes let's do it i'm so excited okay. So Dorothea Lang, just like Walker Evans, was paid by this FSA government agency to go out and photograph people who would elicit the most amount of sympathy. And so when she found this one woman, and it's amazing, when you look at the woman, her name is Florence, I forget her last name, she's in her early 30s. She's 32, I think. 32, yeah. Mm -hmm. So her face is so weathered and just reflects the weight of the experience that she's had to endure. And Lang chose her because she has so many children, and there was a prominent lack when you see the image. It's the lack of the father. And so she almost seems like she's been elevated to this mother and child which has religious significance like the madonna and christ and she holds in her arms an infant child mm -hmm. so that could be the christ-like significance and then there are two other kids who are leaning into her now florence they're is, looking away from her and we'll talk about that in a second yeah right. they're leaning well, in but they're looking away right their heads are turned you can't see them they're faceless they're nameless they're children who are just you know downtrodden right and we assume that they're downtrodden because they're just so overcome with their environment, with their starvation, that they have to just physically rely on the support of their mother's shoulders. Now, in actuality, they had never seen a camera before, and they were so dazzled by this new tool that they were laughing. And Dorothea Lang, she's like, well, the image won't have as much power if the kids are laughing and smiling because that doesn't give the message of need and so she asked them to turn their heads away. And also, you know, there's a bunch of phot photographs before that photograph that happens, right? The one photograph is she's feeding, she's feeding the baby on her bosom, very much like Madonna-ish, but yet it's maybe a little too risque for the middle class to see a baby sucking on the nipple of, a, of her mom. So then the baby's not sucking on her anymore, and the kids are looking into the photo, you know, looking into the camera, and that feels maybe too playful. And then her hand is moved, and then she's got a thumb around it, and then they Photoshop, or whatever they did, they retouched. There's no Photoshop, obviously. She they burned retouched and dodged. Her, yeah, yeah, burn and dodged yeah. the, the thumb out of it because it was just more poignant. You could see her facial expression. And, you know, however many photographs, 10 photographs, whatever, later you've got the quintessential iconic photograph of that time. Now, that being said, that lady Florence was in dire straits. She was sleeping in the tent. Her husband was out trying to fix the car, you know, sell the car, whatever they say it was. They were broke. They were making pennies on the dollar. They were living in what's called a pea picker farm. And, you know, these people were sleeping on the sides of the roads. These people were, 
were hassled and hustled by the by the locals, uh, oftentimes beaten up, oftentimes robbed, oftentimes there was a hierarchy there of uh, real brute crazy people who formed these kind of gangs. And if you were out of line, the people in the pea picking community that were rising to like this cartel of the pea pickers would beat your ass. So it was really rough. You had all kinds of, you had this crazy dynamic in this crazy wild, wild west world. And it was just rough. It was really, really, really rough. Yeah. And those are all such great points because they assert that the scaffolding of this image is truth. But the little fillers, the ligaments, the muscles, the whatever, that that's the artifice. But does it really matter if the foundation of the image is real? I don't think it does. And of course, any photograph that's going to be that close to a person's face, the presence of the photographer is known. I think the jig is up, right? Yeah. We know that Dorothea Lang is inches away from Florence's face. And using the contact sheet as an example of how she worked in the very beginning, the first shots that she took, her vantage point was really far away from the family. Mm -hmm. And slowly as she's building trust, she walks closer and closer and closer. Mm -hmm. And I think that she was just incredibly savvy knowing the type of image that would generate the biggest response. And so what we have looking at the image that is so iconic that it's a stamp which I'm sure you knew. It's a U.S. stamp. I didn't know that. Oh. Oh, that image is a stamp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My oh, because I was on stamp. the United States Stamp Committee? <laughs> <laughs> I fed you that one, and you didn't even take it right away. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember <laughs> that it was a stamp. I was like, oh, was it? Okay, but it cool. really is the image that has come to symbolize this era. If mm -hmm. you know one photograph from the 1930s, yeah. or just if you can recall one thing, it's probably this. So what does it share? It shares this martyrdom idea that maybe is representative of the country, that what we're enduring, that there's something spiritual to our resilience. Also, it is a very sympathetic image because there's no man to support the family, to provide for the family, that it all of that onus is on the mother. And her worry could be read as hopefulness too, that she's looking out, looking toward the future. She is caught in this ponderous thought wondering how it is that she's going to provide for her family while we know that she will. And so there's this resilience that echoes the resilience of the American spirit. And oftentimes women would pair up with men sexually just to be safe because walking on those roads was very rough and people were getting beat up, raped, murdered all the time, robbed at the very least. Uh, so usually a woman would pair with a man and oftentimes, sometimes several men uh, would move from, from man to man, mm -hmm. from, from what I uh, researched. Uh, getting back to the art of Dorothea Lang, the other art that really struck me, which is ironic because like, you know, this is, this is creating propaganda during Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right? This super like for the people, by the people, of the people president. You know, fast forward not that much further into the future, you've got the same president who are opening up, um, who's opening up internment camps for the Japanese Americans and putting anybody who's like, what, 164th have Japanese blood in these camps. Horrible, hostile, brutal situation. 
uh, taking people's businesses away, taking people's homes away, and putting them in concentration camps behind two thickets of barbed wire fences. Uh, so, you know, you've got Dorothea Lang now photographing this, photographing these kids, photographing these older people, photographing the camps. And I believe her work, you probably know way more about this than I do, but I think that those photographs that she shot were held up in governmental archives for 30 years before they were released to the public. I mean, that's how fucked up it was. And it was amazing that she even had access and she was able to photograph that because those are such, to me, those are some of her most poignant uh, photographs besides all her stuff that she did, you know, in the Dust Bowl. And that also, that anecdote asserts the power of the photographic image, that what she shot was so inflammatory, it exposed so many truths that were really unsavory, that they were censored. And I doubt that that would have happened had she painted the same image. But right. it's, again, it goes back, it always goes back to this concept of a photograph representing an actual document. But do you think... That, but like the the Japanese internment camp photographs are not manipulated. So like to me, I mean, are they posed? You ain't going to get worse than it was to me. So to me, they were almost like if they were they just were deep. They were powerful. They were profound. They were sentimental. But I don't really feel like they were staged with so much manipulation like the other ones were. Sure. Well, in my opinion, every photograph is manipulated. It's just the degree of subtlety. And so I do think, since we know with with Migrant Mother, for instance, that one of Florence's kids put his or her little hand on the side. And so in the original image, you can see those fingers that you mentioned. But then Lang wanted the image to be pure, and so she burned them, and so you can't see the fingers at all or maybe a slightly ghostly trace of it Mm. so was there that level of manipulation in the internment camp photos i don't think so but i i ultimately don't think it matters i don't think you needed them there you know i mean it was a different situation it was so effed up that like perhaps she was being controlled by the guards that were there because they you know she had to get escorted in there and her her work was held for 30 years and you know, that was manipulated for sure, like the actual viewing of those works. So it was a really, I mean, the whole situation is so effed up, but, you know, at least we have the works of Dorothea Lang and, and Evans to, to show a time and place. And I think with great photography, you get great answers to history. Absolutely. And before we wrap up, I just want to talk about one other strategy that mm-hmm. these documentary, the documentarians sort of, who weren't at all, they're artists, what they used. And that was juxtaposing people with advertisements. And Walker Evans did that, especially in this photograph from 1935 called Man Next to a Poster. And then Evans, or um, Lang did one, Next Time Try the Train. And I think that both of those works, they really epitomize the strategy that both of these artists were masters of, which is juxtaposing the haves from the have-nots. Everything is about power and identity, in my opinion. And if we think about the Evans, it's this black man who's looking to the side, and the poster that's next to him, it's a movie poster advertisement of two white people. They are clean and pristine and smiling, and I think there could be a car in the image, And so that represents everything 
that is not available to the man in front of the poster or beside it. And it's the same with the next time try the train. There are these two men. We only see their backs. They're walking on this long road. And the hideous irony is that next time they can't try the train. They have no money. They're never going to be able to do that. And so the luxury that's exposed in the advertisement is painfully denied from the actual people. So I think that that's a powerful use of photography, but it, like everything else, has an agenda. Thank you, guys. Peace.